What is up, guys? Welcome to Instagram Marketing Secrets, episode 74. Today is the recap interview. Dang it, I always say that it's the recap episode of the interview with Chanel Whitley. It was the last episode. If you haven't heard it, blah, 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 you already know the gist. Go back and listen to it. But even if you have listened to some of it, make sure you listen to the end of it because at the very end, I do give away something for free for you. That's all I'm going to say, but you have to listen to the end of episode 73 in order to hear about it. So today, um, not only am I just recapping, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more details just so you know what to expect because um, some of the things that I'm going to talk about later in this episode are going to be really key. So at the beginning, we're going to be talking about picking your niche, uh, whether you want to be an influencer or just for a business in general, uh, because that's something a lot of people struggle with is, you know, we all know that niching down is important. It's a good way to set yourself apart, but how exactly do we do it? Then we're going to talk about um, how she was able to charge a lot more per post and how you can apply that same concept into your own business. Uh, we're going to talk about modeling large influencers. Um, I'm going to be teaching you guys uh, one sentence persuasion, as it's called, as it's referred to by Russell Brunson commonly. Um, it's going to be very important uh, no matter what you do. So you know, this episode is titled something along the lines of influencers, but this is for everyone for real. And we're going to talk about reaching out uh, to get those influencer deals created, uh, depending on if you're the influencer or you're the business, either side of it. Um, and then we are going to, uh, yeah, I guess that that's about it, actually. So um, going to be a great episode for you. We're just going to hear from my sponsor real quick, and then we'll dive in. So first off, we're going to be talking about picking your niche, and I'm going to be talking about it as an influencer as well as just a business in general. So as an influencer to start, something Chanel is doing extremely well apart from you know, she's a body positive model. She's uh, very vulnerable to her audience. She speaks to them in a way that they can identify with. And that's something we're going to talk about a little bit later in this episode too. Um, apart from that, the thing that really stuck out is that she is a local influencer. And this is a big, big, big opportunity for any of you that want to be an influencer. I would highly recommend that you brand yourself as a local influencer to wherever you are. Because if there's one type of business that has not been able to take advantage of influencer marketing, it's local businesses. And it's because companies that sell products online to an international marketplace can team up with these big influencers. But if someone is a local, let's say gym, and they want to find a fitness influencer that has 200,000 followers, but only 1% come from their town and only... Two or three percent of those people actually see the post because they have a two to three percent engagement rate or so. Um, it's hard for them to deem it worthy um, to to pay for it because like two hundred k, they might be charging upwards of five hundred, a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars for that one post, and they only have so many people that they can actually sell to in that person's following. So it's made it very hard for local businesses to act on influencer marketing. So if you can brand yourself that way, and you can just be very good about always geotagging your area, using local hashtags, doing everything you can 
to build up a local following so that when these local businesses ask you for your insights, you can say, yeah, like 10% of my followers are from this city. Like even 10% is really, really high to have from a single city. So if you can do things like that, then all of a sudden, these people who have not even been using influencer marketing before these local businesses, um, you have an opportunity to work with them. So think about whatever niche you're in. I know you at least have some ideas, and we're talking about picking your niche right now. Uh, If you have some ideas or you've already picked your niche, think about what local business could actually hire you. Start branding yourself locally. Start using more local hashtags and doing things like that to find local followers and then start making deals with them because as she talked about, she's been able to charge these people so much more because they don't want to spend however many thousand dollars for these big influencers who have a very small following in their town to post for them when they can spend, you know, even a few hundred is what Chanel is getting, even though she has 11K. Like, that's crazy to get $300, $400 as the most she's gotten for a single post from a local business. If you can do that, I mean, the cost of your post is determined by how big of a problem you can solve to the people you are trying to sell it to. Let me say that one more time. The cost of your product or service is dependent on how big of a problem you solve for the person you're selling it to. Um, And it depends on the client as well. So like she worked with a local dentist office. They usually, you know, do pretty well uh, financially. It's a pretty costly service, right? So because she found this client who's willing to pay $300 for a post, because even if they do get uh, them one client, it will pay for itself, right? So that's why she could charge this dentist's office $300 because if it brings in one client for them, it will pay for itself. If she was doing it for, uh, you know, like a, a small restaurant or something in the area, it it would take, we'll say like 30 to 40 customers to come into that restaurant and, and buy food before like the profit is a wash with what they paid for. So it can be harder to charge those people more because it's not going to be as worth it to them. So think about that when you're thinking about what should I charge per post, it should be more dependent on, well, who is my main audience And what would be the cost that's worth it to them? Because if it's not worth it to them, then it doesn't matter what I want to charge. It it really does not matter what you want to charge for your product or service. It matters what your customer is willing to pay for it. The only thing that matters for you is, okay, are we able to be profitable at that cost? Um, Or are we able to be extremely profitable at that cost. So get the gears turning and we're going to be talking about how to actually reach out to these people later in the episode, but just know that your cost per post will largely be determined not just by your follower number, but um you know by the audience that you're able to attract and how worth uh how worth it it is for these uh people that you'll be working with 
to market to that audience. So if you have a very valuable, high quality audience that is on demographic with people that you're trying to sell to, then they will pay for it. Um, it's just, can we get them more money than what it costs? So start thinking that way, not just, oh, how many followers, how much should I charge based off of how many followers? It's, it's more than that because the quality of your followers will determine the cost, the quality of your followers and the quality of your customers will ultimately determine the cost you are able to charge people for your posts or your services and products uh, overall. Uh, other thing I want to talk about with picking your niche as a general business. Every once in a while, someone will reach out to me and they'll say, Derek, I want to start a drop shipping business. I'll say, okay, cool. What industry were you thinking? And they'll say, well, I heard that makeup is a profitable industry, or I heard that uh, baby products is a profitable industry. And I asked them, okay, well, what do you know about that market? And this is an actual example. A, a guy reached out to me and said, you know, I'm going to start it in the makeup industry. And they just started a Instagram makeup account and they ran it for a couple weeks before they were done with that business. So don't forget that when you're picking a niche, you never just pick it based off of, oh, well, what's a profitable industry? What, what does the market need? Those are great questions to ask yourself. But if you can not support it again by saying, am I okay? being immersed in that industry for the next few years, then do not start that business. Do not start a business in a niche that you are not okay with constantly exposing yourself to content in that industry, constantly talking to your customers in that industry and surveying them, posting about things on Instagram, as well as actually informative and educational captions. Can you do that? Like, can this guy do that in the makeup industry? Sure. He can go on Wikipedia. He can go on Google. He can look up some quick facts. He can make some captions around it. Do you want to do that for a few years? Because it's one thing to look at that business as like, oh, I'm just going to start this business. I'm going to make some quick money. But there is very rarely uh, quick making, quick money-making opportunities um, at all. And there are even fewer uh, quick money-making opportunities that will stay that way for a few years that you are not constantly committed to working on that business. So if you can't see yourself working on the business for you know a minimum of three years, I would probably more even say five, but a minimum of three, then I would not start in that niche no matter what kind of numbers you're seeing because you will not be passionately doing what you want to do. And one of the biggest perks about entrepreneurship, apart from I don't have a boss, I got you know residual income, whatever, I've got creative control over my business, is that you like what you're doing. So don't let that part of entrepreneurship go to waste just because you're picking a niche because, oh, I heard it was a profitable niche, okay? Don't do that. Let's go on to uh, what she talked about with finding your initial like content strategy, caption strategy, hashtag strategy, because once, once you nail those down and when Chanel got those nailed down is when she actually started to gain some traction and, and gain followers more quickly once she found out, okay, this type of post does the best. This type of caption works the best for me. 
And a lot of it is experimenting, and the other part of it is modeling. However, as she brought up, you don't necessarily just want to straight model large influencers in your industry, or especially celebrities. You have to realize that when people get big to a certain point, and they have followers that really know them because they've been following them for a long time, they can get away with posting um, a selfie with pretty much no caption, and still get a ton of likes. When you are new, you can't do that. You do have to add extra value. So when you're modeling off of these larger influencers, that's a great idea. You want to model off of like the trending content in your industry, um, get a lot of ideas from it. But no matter how much you model off of people, whether this be for modeling off influencers or modeling off of other businesses, never just be a copycat. Okay, you are always going to be the next you. Okay, If you're trying to be a motivational speaker, don't be the next Tony Robbins. Be the next you who takes influence from Tony Robbins. If you want to open up a tech company, don't be the next Steve Jobs or try to be because he's a very unique personality. You don't have to be a jerk to all the people that work for you and work all the time, uh, even though there's parts to that that you should take from. But at the end of the day, you have to be your own you um, because if you're an influencer, they're following you for you as a person, not because of here's me trying to do my best impersonation of a different influencer in my industry. So um, don't be afraid to just define your own niche as I'm the only me on Instagram. So I'm already a niche just in itself. You are the only one of your business on Instagram. So own up to that and have your own flair. Talk to people how you talk to them. Read your captions and think like, does this sound like me? Does this sound like something I would say to a person who's right in front of me? And if it's not how you would say it, or you feel like you're mixing around your words just to like model off of someone else because they're finding success with it, then you're going to have an inconsistent voice to your following. And if your voice is inconsistent, they won't be able to figure out who you actually are as a person. Because when people read captions or they read anything, you read it in the voice of the person who who wrote it um, or, or like your best guess for what that person's voice sounds like. So you want them to be able to find, you know, to, to find out what they think that is at least of you. And you want it to be consistent. So know that always being the next you is always going to be the best solution. But modeling off of people um, is, is a very key aspect to to everything, you know, um, no matter what you do in life. Um, but check out the large influencers in in your industry, see what hashtags they're using, see which type of content is trending the best for them, but don't just try to be a copycat of them. Okay. Next thing we're going to talk about is essentially caption writing. And we're going to be talking about it in terms of persuasion and influence. Let me say something about persuasion real quick. If you think persuasion is manipulation did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear 
How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Or you think it's wrong to do, um, I can't tell you how opposed to that I am. Persuasion is the strongest tool in the world. And if bad people use it, then it's used for bad. If good people use it, then it's used for good. Okay, so... If you're a good person, then you need to understand that equipping yourself with persuasion, uh, you know, the persuasive skills is beneficial to the world. And when you persuade people to your way of thinking, you are doing good in the world. You need to understand this. When you're persuading people to do things for good reason, you are doing good work out there. I know the next thing is, well, how do I know if it's good? Okay, like, yeah, when it's gray space, then yeah, don't you don't try to like manipulate people into an idea just to just to show people that you can do it but persuasion and just the ability to influence people it is a great skill to be able to persuade someone who is unhappy with their life to be happy with their life and motivated to uh for the next part of you know what they're going to do with their life and their career that is beautiful persuasion right there and it's beautiful to be able to persuade someone who is uh, stressed out um, about, like worried about something that they really shouldn't be worried about, to chill out and just take life as it comes and to uh, j- just be vulnerable with them and um, guide them to a better way of thinking. That is still persuasion. So know that persuasion can still be an amazing thing um, before we talk about it. Because I know a lot of people just are like, oh, that's that's something salesmen do to take your money. All right. Like there are very few salesmen out there who are selling a product purely just to take your money. And it's got to be a pretty crappy product. Otherwise, I'll just speak for salesmen real quick. When they are really trying to get you to buy, it's usually because they know that their product is so much more worth the money um then then you keeping your money so a really good salesman persuades for good reason i always felt like a jerk when people didn't buy um you know the knives that i used to sell that i knew i was royally screwing over their lives if i couldn't persuade them because i was doing it for good because 100% of people who buy it are totally satisfied with it so um you know persuading them to buy was in their best interest, even if they didn't know it. So you have to have the right mentality about persuasion in order to do it. If you don't feel like you are doing it for the right reasons, then maybe you're a bad person. But if you're a good person, know that persuasion is a tool that you should equip yourself with. Okay, so here is um, how Russell Brunson defines one-sentence persuasion, right? People will always identify with people who do one of these five things that justify their failures, that allay their fears, that throw rocks at their enemies, confirm their suspicions, 
or encourage their dreams, all right? I'm gonna go through these one at a time, encourage their dreams. So as a leader, it's vital that you first understand your audience's dreams, then encourage them inside the new opportunity that you're creating for them. That's right out of the book, Expert Secrets from Russell Brunson, which is an incredible book. So um, you need to know what are my ideal followers um, or you know my current followers, like what are a lot of their dreams? What Someone who is following me, what is a dream of theirs? Encourage that. That is always a good basis to start your caption writing. Justifying their failure. So let's say that, you know, in Chanel's case, she's a body positive model. There's probably a lot of women who follow her that have struggled with weight loss. They've tried keto. They've tried the vegan diet. They've tried all these different things and it hasn't worked for them. And when they're feeling that failure, it is, you know, always difficult to cope with that they're not, you know, getting the results that they want. And if you can justify, hey, it's okay that that it didn't work for you, it didn't work for me either, I had to do this before it actually worked for me, that is how you can persuade people to uh, your level of thinking. And by persuade, I don't mean to get them to make a purchase from you, I mean to persuade them to follow you, to for you to be someone that they want to follow. If you can justify their previous failures, they will be a way more likely to listen to you, all right? Allay their fears. So I'm going to read right out of the book again. To allay is to diminish or put to rest. If you can put their fears to rest and give them hope, they will follow you to the ends of the earth and back again. So again, let, let's just use Chanel's account as a as a example again. If she were to say things like, hey, like it's going to be tough getting up in the morning to go to the gym five times a week, it's difficult, especially when you got kids, but you have to know that the the results at the end are so worth it, okay? Confirm their suspicions is number four. Uh, Your audience is already suspicious of you and others in your market. They want to believe change is possible, but they're skeptical about making the leap forward. When you can confirm in story format that you had similar suspicions and describe how you overcame them, it will bond people to you, okay? So these last three, confirm their suspicions, allay their fears, justify their failures, are very relatable but this goes into being vulnerable with your audience as chanel did talk about you have to be vulnerable in your own way so for me as an entrepreneur i've had a lot of failures and a lot of entrepreneurs that you know do like sell coaching in a course course like myself they usually don't talk about their failures for fear that it will make their audience think that they are a failed entrepreneur why would you want to follow someone that's a failure, right? Um, but at the same time, talking about I used to be a crappy entrepreneur, now I'm good, is a much more relatable story than, oh yeah, I came out of the gate, everything worked for me right away, definitely listen to me, I've never even uh, run into any significant struggles. That is not someone that people want to follow as much as someone who can identify with where they once were and then they are now where they want to be, all right? Last thing is throw rocks at their enemies. So one big key to growing your following is creating us versus them within your community. Take a stand for what you believe, why you're different, and who you're collectively fighting in, fighting against. Why is your movement better than the alternatives? So 
this is something you you want to take with a grain of salt. It's not to say that you should like bash your enemies super hard, but let's say that you are doing a new weight loss type of program and you're calling it um, MVP weight loss or whatever you have determined your new program. A little bit of getting people on board with your program, your way of thinking, is that you have to um, discourage or at least talk about other methods out there that aren't great. So for me, my community of Instagram uh, podcast listeners like yourself, are you are bought into my ideas of do not do follow on follow. Don't do automation software. Don't do buck 80 commenting strategy unless you want to be on the app six hours a day. Now that I've told you don't do those things, if you want to hear my new methods, then you know check out my masterclass, which is what we talk about in the masterclass, or keep following my podcast. So I'm not just going to talk about here's the strategies that you should do. I'm going to talk about the strategies that you shouldn't do um, because until you have got people off of their current way of thinking, they're not open to a new way of thinking. So what I'm teaching you guys right now is advanced stuff Uh, Or it's like basic when you hear it, but it's advanced to be able to just take it and apply to your own business. I could just go off and do like 20 examples, but if you really can't think of examples for your business, feel free to shoot me a DM at IGM Secrets. What are the main things in my market that people are doing that I disagree with that they really should stop doing right away? Because if you can say, don't do this, and then you propose, but you should do this, that is going to be so much better um, persuasion in terms of getting them to follow you and listen to what you're saying than just teaching without you know discouraging uh, something that they, they might be doing or something that they might have thought of doing, right? Like a lot of people are like, should I do automation software? Should I do it? I don't know. And as soon as I say, don't do it because of this, this, and this, and this, then all of a sudden now I am someone that they want to keep following, all right? So I would go back and listen to this uh, last like 10 minutes of this episode if you want to really nail those things. But uh, in Russell Brunson's book, Expert Secrets, I believe he talks about it in his book, .com Secrets as well. Uh, he dives deep on those five uh, five methods of one-sentence persuasion, and it is something that you will want to use throughout your entire business with your captions, with how you talk to people on your website, with how you DM people, with how you email people. All of these things will stem from these one-sentence persuasion uh, techniques, all right? So let's go into reaching out for for influencer marketing. And I'm going to be talking about this as the perspective of the influencer. But by understanding their perspective and their goals, you will also be able to create these influencer marketing deals better as the business that is looking to create them. So something that she talks about is that she used to have like a set price. And I'm not opposed to having a set price, but especially when you're newer and you haven't made enough deals yet and you're not really sure, uh, as she talks about, she has a media kit, um, which I'm not going to go into that, but go back and listen to the episode if you want to know what it is. In a nutshell, it's basically your influencer resume that you can send out to people who are thinking of working with you. And on that resume, she used to include her pricing, but as she found later that, you know, the the price that you can charge is ultimately based off of the business that you're working with and how big of a problem you can solve for them, as I talked about, then 
she left the price as more of a question mark until they inquire. So don't be afraid to do that. It's a common uh, thing in persuasion that whoever says a number first loses. Okay, this is talked about in real estate um, all the time, like realtors, that's a very common tip that they talk about. And it could mean like, you know, when they say, oh, what's your budget for this house? Oh, our budget for the house is 300,000. What do they typically do after that? That means that the realtor, and I'm not I'm not saying all realtors do this, but you know, one way that they could roll with that now that you have set a number first is that they could then show you a house that is at 300,000 that is kind of a crappy house. And then they could show you a house at 350 because they know that whatever budget you say does have a little bit of flex to it. And they show you the house that you really want for 350. That's how they could get you up to that higher price point. If I'm trying to buy something and it doesn't have a cost on it, like I'm at a swap meet, right? I'm at like a, a farmer's market or something and I'm buying like this person is selling like some some furniture that they've had for years. There's no price on it. And I go up and say, oh, how much is this couch? If they then say, oh, it's 75. Now I have the opportunity to say, oh, would you take 50? If I go up and say, ooh, would you take uh, 150 for this? Then they have the opportunity to be like, uh, yeah, sure. Or they can say, ooh, uh, I was really hoping to get uh, 200, but I'll tell you what, we can do 175. Okay, that person who is able to counter is able to then, you know, make an adjustment towards their price after. And I hope you know that as well as that couch seller. If you are the seller, whatever price the customer says is going to be slightly lower than the price that they're actually willing to do or the max price that they're willing to do. Whatever price the seller tells you first is a little bit higher than the lowest price that they're willing to do. So that is why whoever says a number first loses when the other person actually understands that basis of uh, persuasion and negotiation. So when, um, like, like when she had someone reach out to her, they said, our budget is 400. Was she going to say, oh, well, I only charge 300 per post or only 200 per post? Or she could say, okay, for 400, yeah, I can do that. And then, you know, just so you can be in good faith with yourself, if you have recently charged someone $300 for a post and you feel weird charging this person 400, just say, yeah, we can do 400. And actually at that level, you also get two story posts as well as a regular post. Don't be afraid to just accept whatever money level they say fits good with you and add some more value if you want to. Or you can even say, oh, well, just so you know, we actually have a 450 tier where for 450, you get three posts and three story posts. And just knowing that when they said 400, you might be able to have a little bit of flex to it. If you can just say, oh, well, yeah, we can do 400 and you get this. But also, so you know, I have a 450 package and a 500 package that comes with this and this. Never be afraid to just make up a package for someone on the spot that is higher value and a higher price than what they already told you their budget was because they can just say no if they don't want to do it. But how easy is an upsell right then when they say, oh, our budget's 400. Cool, I can do this for 400 or I can do this for 500 and just at least giving them the opportunity to pay you more, all right? So, um... As far as the reaching out goes, as you are a, when you're a new influencer, it's up to you to reach out. When you are a veteran, it's 
you're going to naturally just get so many more people asking you. Um, but it's not to say that if you want to make some deals that you can't message people and make some deals, especially if you're a local influencer. These local-based businesses aren't bought into the ideas of influencer marketing yet. Um, so they're probably not actively looking for it. So it is totally okay to think, okay, who is following me right now? Like look at your audience insights even and see what's their demographic um, because these numbers are going to be what you're going to be able to send to this business as um, you know why they should work with you. So start with what numbers you have. Now, what local businesses would actually make sense? They want your demographic and your audience as well as your content is somewhat related. Your market is somewhat related. And then now that you're able to identify those clients, don't be afraid to just DM them and reach out and say, hey, um, this is Derek. I just wanted to introduce myself. I actually live right down the street from your business. Big fan, been in a few times. Your restaurant has amazing food. I just want to let you know that I am at least trying to be a top influencer in the area, and I do have quite the local following. So if you're ever looking to do some sort of collaboration with me where I could promote your business for you, I'd be happy to discuss that with you. Uh, thanks again, and hopefully I'll be in the restaurant soon. Okay, something like that. You can just kind of leave it open-ended rather than saying, hey, just so you know, it's $300 for a post. You're not going to come out and say that. My rule for cold DMing people is that you have to get that first message accepted because if they click decline on your message, then you won't be able to message them again. So never talk numbers right at the beginning. Just get to, um, you know, hey, brief introduction, small talk, saying something nice about them, you know, that's genuine. Don't just say something nice about their page if you don't actually think it. Uh, you know, say whatever you can and then um, and then just say if you're interested in doing some form of collaboration, uh, that's something I do, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, feel free to ask me about that and we can see if there's uh, anything that would be beneficial to you. Okay, and then you're going to do that and you're going to do it for a lot of people. Don't be discouraged if you message one person, they don't message you back. Don't be discouraged if you message 10 people and they don't message you back. If you message 100 people, they don't message you back, then you definitely need to change your message. But uh, I would think that a minimum of 10% of these businesses should reach out to you. And when businesses do not reply, they are so dumb and living in the past um, because if someone dms you and you don't reply it is the exact same as if they sent you an email or called your store or went into your business and came up to you and talked to you in person and asked you a question and you did not respond if a customer is communicating with you you always communicate back so don't think that you can just leave all your dm requests in there and they're sitting there and they're annoying to you and you need to respond to your emails they are the exact same thing it's just a customer communicating with you in fact it's even better because when you dm back to them now you've created an engagement with them whereas that doesn't that's not really as nearly as much of a thing with email marketing um for you know re having to respond back and create engagement it's not really part of it, at least nearly as much as it is with creating engagement on social media platforms. So always respond back. 
Um, and uh, don't be afraid to reach out and send out a ton of messages and get some deals going. Because if you are an influencer over 10K and you send out 50 DMs a week or 100 DMs a week, uh, you are going to get multiple deals made every single week. The one thing that I would say with making these deals, um, which comes down to who you're even messaging in the first place, is make sure that you have an idea of what you would be comfortable posting for them and it's still getting liked by your followers. You don't want to be an influencer who's just, you know, posting their normal content and then all of a sudden whenever they get paid by a business to do a post, it's obvious to the followers that you did. That it's obvious that, you know, you are just posting their giveaway, their sale or something like that just because they asked you to. You have to you would you should decline working with people if it is going to be off brand because if you post something off brand and it hurts your engagement rate just so you could make a one time 50 bucks then it will make it harder for you to find future clients as well as build your page because posting that off-brand content that's not getting liked, one, isn't even getting them uh, the results that they were hoping to get with working from you so they won't work with you again, right? That's the key. If you want to work with businesses multiple times, you have to get them um, their money's worth. So don't be afraid to just go above and beyond. If you feel like, oh, that post didn't go well, give them a free story post. Who cares? You don't have to be like, oh, I need to charge them for that. If you have not got them, gotten them, results, then keep posting for them for free. Okay. Like post until you get them results because otherwise they will not work with you again. And it won't matter that, oh, well, it would have cost more for that second post. So I couldn't have done it. No, your goal is to get them their money's worth. And until you have, I would just keep giving them free promotions because then they're going to be like, dang, I really like working with you. And I'd even recommend other local businesses do so as well. So only on brand content or, you know, at least try to um, work with them. If they're like, hey, could you post this for us? And then it's not on brand. Tell them I can't post that because uh, my followers expect to see content like this. However, I can post my normal content with incorporating your business in this way. If that works for you, then we can do it. Otherwise, don't be afraid to just decline someone to work with you if they are asking you, hey, we need this posted and it doesn't fit with your brand and you know your followers aren't going to like it. Um, It's not just for your benefit, it's for their benefit because they don't really get Instagram and they think, oh, she gets 2,000 likes per post, so ours will get 2,000 likes. No, if it's not what your followers want to see, that post is going to die off. It's going to get 200 likes you're not going to get them any results. So don't let them tell you what they want to post if it is going to be off brand. So guys, that uh, concludes this episode. Um, Hopefully you got some great info out of it. I I know I was a little bit uh, rambling at parts. I apologize. I try to be very intentional with the order of things that I'm going to talk about. And I speak about them a little bit in advance. Uh, But every once in a while, I get off on tangents because uh, I just love uh, talking business, talking marketing. So um, reach out to me at IGM Secrets if you have any questions on how some of the things in this episode could relate to you. Go back and uh, listen to the end of episode 73 if you want to hear about the freebie that I offered you guys. And uh, go check out my Instagram masterclass if you are ready for the, the, uh, the advanced 
Instagram information, how to actually get sales, how to run a giveaway properly, okay? Because 99% of you do not know how to run a giveaway properly. I promise you, I rarely see giveaways that are done the right way. So if you want to learn how to do one properly, go to igmsecrets.com slash masterclass. It's linked in the bio as well, but it's an hour long. I recommend watching it from a desktop Love you guys. Thank you so much. I will be talking to you in just a few days because I was behind on putting out this episode. So I'm going to be getting back on normal schedule next week. And I'm going to be telling you guys exactly how I opened this business uh, because it is now one years old, this Instagram podcast and my just Instagram business in general. And I'm going to tell you guys exactly how I opened it. And if you are a new business owner or uh, you know within your first five years even, it's going to be a very valuable episode. So I will talk to you guys soon.